there was a period in the history of Israel where they didn't have a king, and uh, it was kind of a, a lawless time, if you will. And there was uh, somewhere between 250 and 300 years that was called the time of the judges. And there's a whole book in the Bible called Judges that, that relate the events that took place. So these judges were kind of a, a different sort of thing. Some of them were warriors. Some of them were administrators. But God used them to communicate a message to the people of Israel in a time that there was not a lot of rule. So this is before, this is before Saul was anointed king of Israel, who was the first king of Israel. And then, of course, there was David and, and so on. So before that period of time, there was this, there was this odd time in Israeli history that, that they were not ruled by judges, but God spoke to Israel through judges. And interestingly, there were, there were sometimes several judges going on at one time because they were kind of localized. It wasn't like they were in charge of the whole nation of Israel, right? So you would have this particular judge over here doing this at the same time another judge was communicating a message to these people over here there was about 15 of them um, down through the period of of a couple hundred years here and the fifth one was uh, was Gideon and that's the person that we're going to be focusing on today because we're in this little series called Better Options. And last week we talked about the better option that Jesus gave when the woman brought, was brought to him that had committed adultery. And they said, well, do you want to be her, her executioner or do you want to be her excuser? And God said, neither and he came up with a better option full of hope and grace, right? And that was the better option that was available. And we, we concluded last week by saying something to the effect of, all right, so, so let's find out what God is doing here. Let's find out what God's timing is on the situation. And then let's find out what our role is and let kind of God do what he's going to do and use us. So that's, that was a, 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 a kind of a synopsis of last week. So this week, we're going to talk about this guy named Gideon and this incredible event that took place. And we're going to find out more about what it looks like, what are some potential options or what are better options when things seem difficult or impossible or uncomfortable. That's kind of where a lot of people sit right now in their relationships or their job or their stage of life. And so we're going to glean some lessons here from Gideon and his 300. So if you have your Bibles, Judges chapter 7 is where we're going to launch this morning, but actually Judges chapter 6 is where the story begins. We're not going to get into that because there's just too much scripture for us to cover. So we're going we're to kind of fast forward to Judges chapter 7 and talk about this. But to kind of give you this brief little synopsis here, you have uh, the, the Midianites have been oppressing the Jewish people for seven years now. And absolutely decimating their crops. Anytime they would grow something, they would come in and destroy them. They let all of their, all of their livestock go on their, on their fields and they ate everything up. And then there was so much fear that a lot of the Israelites were living in caves. It was a horribly oppressive time. And that's where we kind of come in. It's been this way for seven years. And we're introduced to this guy named Gideon. And he really has an interesting little history. Um, we, we are introduced to him as, as the angel of the Lord comes to him in a wine press. And what he's doing in the wine press is not what you do in wine presses. He was actually threshing out grain in the wine press so that the Midianites didn't see the grain that he was trying to thresh because what would happen? They would take it away from him because they took everything. 
And so he's, and, I, and, and a lot of people feel like Gideon was some kind of a coward. I don't feel that at all. I, th- I think that he was just trying to be smart. And so he's, he's in the wine press, and he is threshing out the grain. The angel of the Lord comes to him and says, Hey, Gideon, you're a mighty man of valor. God wants to use you to defeat the Midianites. Me? Right? So if you read chapter 6, you'll get a little bit of background. And so now we're in chapter 7. And what Gideon has done is Gideon has convinced 32,000 men to form an army to go against the Midianites, which sounds pretty great until you realize how many Midianites there were that were encamped against Israel. And we don't know. We just assume based on the way that Scripture is written because it just says, like, you know, lots of people. But just to make math easy on me, I'm going to say 300,000 people. They, they feel like it was several hundred thousand Midianite soldiers that were encamped against Israel. And so when you think of 32,000 in the Israeli army, it doesn't sound as impressive as a couple hundred thousand of the Midianites. So God communicates to Gideon, all right, 32,000 is too many. I love how God doesn't think like we think, right? Because you know he's doing the math going, all right, it's already 10 to 1 odds, God. I mean, I would, that would give you a lot of glory, right? We'd be going, yay, God, if we beat them 10 to 1, right? He says, I'll tell you what to do, Gideon. I want, I want you to send everybody away that is afraid or they got better things to do. So Gideon makes an announcement, all right, if you're scared or you don't, or you don't want to do this, you need to go back home, you can go and no repercussions. 22,000 men leave. This didn't turn out the way that I thought it was going to turn out, right? So now he's down to 10,000, and God comes to Gideon again and says, Gideon, you still have too many men. I would love to have been a part of that conversation. And he says, here's what we're going to do. There's a, there's a stream, and when Melissa and I were in Israel this last, uh, last March, we actually got to be there and, and, uh, and actually see the actual stream. We didn't drink the actual water. But we did drink from the stream. You don't appreciate my humor. And it was so surreal to realize that, you know, several thousand years ago, this is where it all happened. And so God says, what I want you to do is I want you to, to uh, tell them to get drinks. And then if they drink a certain way, then they're out. If they drink another certain way, then they're in, right? So they could either like get down on all fours and just drink it right out or they can hold on to their, their weapon and scoop down and drink it that way. And those are the good guys. They're the ones that are going to they're gonna go and defeat the Midianites. So they, he, God uses this filtering process and come to find out only 300 men drank the way that God thought they ought to drink. And I don't think there's anything special about the way they were drinking. It's just that God used it to, to splinter off some more guys. So now, So they go from 32,000 men to 10,000 men, and now God says, send everybody else home, and I'm going to give you 300 men to defeat the Midianites. I mean, Gideon's probably like, sure, whatever, right? 10,000, 300. So now we're down to about 1 to 1,000 odds, okay? So that's where we're picking up in the story. That's my fast-forward version to where we are in Judges chapter 7, verse 7. So here we are. And the Lord said unto Gideon, By the 300 men that lapped, will I save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand and let all the other people go, every man unto his place. 
Let's jump down a little bit further. And he divided the 300 men into three companies, and he put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. And he said unto them, look on me and do likewise, and behold, when I come to the outside of the camp, it shall be that as I do, so shall you do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all that are with me, then you blow the trumpets also on every side of the camp and say the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So then here's what happened. So they blow the trumpets, they break the pitchers, they hold up the lamps, and I'm guessing that, that the Midianites looked around and saw all of these, trump, uh, heard all the trumpets and, because it's at nighttime, and they saw all the lamps, and they thought that there was just a huge crowd of people. And that each trumpet represented a huge amount of folks, right? And that they were surprised. And then here's what it says. And the three companies blew the trumpets and break the pitchers and held the lamps in their hands and the trumpets in their right hands to blow with all. And they cried, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And they stood every man in his place round about the camp. And then here's what happened to the enemy. And the host ran and cried and fled. In that order. So, incredible victory with only 300 people. Now, if you read, and I wish I had more time, it's kind of cool how God did some things. He sent some dreams to these guys where they were already really nervous about going to war against Gideon and all that kind of stuff. And, and you just look at this whole story and you think, this is impossible, which is where we are today, trying to take some truths out of this story to understand and realize and appreciate that there are better options available when it seems like we're at an impossibility. And so what we're going to do is we're going to kind of glean some truths out of this story. When our situations feel difficult or uncomfortable or maybe even impossible, when no options available to us seem like good ones. So how do we wrap our brain around what God is doing in this moment of our life? The first thing is we need to, in order to get, be able to get better options, we, it requires that we get God's perspective. So better options require God's perspective. Our perspective oftentimes is not the same as God's perspective. In impossible situations, seem impossible to us because we're not God. And we don't know what God is doing. And impossible situations always seem impossible until we see those impossible situations from God's point of view. In Luke chapter 1, the angel told Mary... And I understand that there's more context to all of this, but the truth is still there. It says, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. That's a pretty defining statement right there. And then further on in the book of Luke, you have another situation, and I won't go into details, but, you know, it's talking about the, can a rich man get to heaven? It's, it's easier for a rich man to get to heaven uh, than or for, for, for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to get to heaven. And they say, well, who gets to heaven? And then Jesus said this, that the, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. And so again, it shows the character of God here that, that just because seems, things seem impossible to us, they don't, even, they don't even fluster God. They don't even, he doesn't even blink an eye. Because the impossibilities that we are focused on are possibilities. We see the limitations. 
We see the hopelessness, but God sees opportunity. God's like, this is totally doable. This is, this is absolutely doable. Now, now here's, here's the thing to remember. We don't get to choose the solution. Okay? So what we want is we want God to perform the miracle that makes sense to us, right? Forget about it. God's not at your beck and call to work things out the way you think you ought to work it out. You need to look at this from God's perspective, right? God has got this. This is totally doable. But you've got to remain a little bit flexible because it may not work out the way you think you wanted it to work out. Okay? We don't get to pick the miracle that God performs. We can make suggestions. Right? Good luck with that. But you don't know what you don't know. So God, this is what makes the best sense. Okay, so um, 17 years ago, we were in a pickle. We were going through the adoption process, and we needed a lot of money. And we was poor. I was working a job making $167 a week, and we needed 7500 bucks to pay a couple of lawyers to make all of this work. And it was Wednesday, and the lawyer said the deadline was Thursday. My wife cleaned houses, including ours. She didn't get paid for that. But I felt like if I made fun of the fact that she didn't clean my house, then I would get in trouble, which I'm not going to do. So she cleaned houses. And one of the ladies' house that she was cleaning was talking to her one day about how are things going with the adoption and all this. And, and Melissa's super positive. We didn't tell anybody that we needed money. We just told God. And like he didn't know. We just want to make sure that he knew just in case there was a misunderstanding and he didn't see the number in our checking account. And uh, so Nancy said, well, how are things going? And Melissa said, everything is going great. You know, we're just in the, kind of in the process now. She goes, well, how is it going financially? She says, it's going to be fine. She said, well, what do you need? She said, we need $7,500 by tomorrow. She's like, okay. And so Nancy would always write Melissa a check and stick it on the counter. And Melissa would pick up the check on the way out. And there were two checks. There was a check for her cleaning the house, and there was a $7,500 check. And then Nancy goes, don't tell my husband I did that. <laughs> she goes, that's in my retirement accounts. He doesn't need to know. I'm not going to argue. You know, you don't. So God provided, and we had no clue where it was going to come from. That's the kind of stuff that, that we did not even foresee. Like I'd gone to Bible college. I'd gone there to get my master's degree. I was actually on staff at the church at the time, making an itty bitty paycheck. I had a part-time business that I had started fixing roofs. And when I would get good jobs, of course it pays pretty well. And I was trying to figure out my brain, like how I can make all of this work and make it happen. And, and, uh, and God just had something else in mind. Completely out of left field, never knew it was coming. Because God can do the impossible. And, and I think that, that when we begin to see things from his perspective, one of the important things for us to remember is that we have to ask him for his perspective and then be willing 
to see what he shows us. Because we're not the ones who get to determine what that miracle is going to be or what the solution to our impossibility is going to be. God can do it, and from his perspective, it's very doable, but it's what he determines is best. We need to look at things from his perspective. I know that sometimes we can think that the odds are overwhelming and there's no hope in the situation. I would ask you to resist the urge to look at your problem and look at the limits. Instead, I would, I would urge you to look to the Lord and what the possibilities could be. Because I believe this, instead of looking there, we should look for God to speak into the situation a couple of different ways. So God wants to speak into your impossible situation through his word, okay? He wants to speak into your life through his words that he's written to us. It's not a mistake that you have your, your Bible. It's not a mistake that, that everything that he wanted you to know right now is in here. So I think that, that when, we, when we soak this up, when we read this like we ought to be reading it. By the way, if all you get for your Christian life is what you get on Sunday morning, you are just missing out. Because God wants to have a relationship with you. If the only time you ate was on Sunday morning, I'd show up in a bad mood too. Right? We eat all throughout the week because it's important. I'm an overachiever in that area. We need sustenance throughout the week. And we need to be reading. It's one of those spiritual habits where you need to have input from the Lord all the time. So, so God wants to speak into that situation through his word. He also wants to speak into that situation by his spirit communicating to your spirit. His spirit, big S, communicating to my spirit, little s. And so that means I've got to tune in and figure it out. And listen to him to speak into my life. And I also think God can speak into your situation through other believers. But it's important that they're mature believers. People that have an understanding or people that can speak into your life in such a way that, that paints God the way that God needs to look. And of course it all matches up with the scripture that you read. But God will tell you what is possible. So I think the first thing we need to do, okay, we're, we're facing an impossible situation, all right? How does God want to speak into that? We need to gain God's perspective. And that's what I love. My favorite definition of wisdom is looking at life from God's point of view because that's wisdom. So how does God see this situation right now? Is he flustered? Does he, got, does, does he, does he have an answer? Does he have a way to make this work? Yeah, he does. So gain God's perspective. The second thing is I think better options also require us to go the extra mile is not only to get God's perspective, but we need to be willing to go the extra mile. Now, I will say this, that Nancy was kind enough to give us that $7,500, and it was a loan. And so we paid it back in 13 months. That was our goal. So we paid, we wrote our $500 check every single month, and we got it paid off. We worked hard to pay that off. God still provided, did he not? God still provided at a timely fashion, when we needed it the most, but we were willing to work hard, right, to see this thing through. So Gideon trims this army down to 300 people, and now he had to figure out 
How am I going to use 300 people to defeat 300,000? Am I just going to take these guys and go in and just, you know, swords a-flashing, screaming to try and defeat 300,000 people? No, he had to go the extra mile. He had to figure this out. Interestingly, and God may have, but it's not recorded, but interestingly, it doesn't say here that God came to him and told him to line his men up this way and do the way that he did it. I'm just wondering if that was just something that Gideon came up with. Well, this is how we're going to make it up. I don't know. I'm just saying it doesn't tell us that God told him to get the lamps and the pit. Wouldn't you like to be a part of that strategy session? You know, you're around your war table. You got all the little people there, you know. Here's the, here's the canyon that we're in. All right, guys, here's what we're going to do. I want everyone to get all the pictures you can, all the ram's horns and all the lamps. We're going to knock them out. So, what, 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 what? No swords, no trebuchets. I just want to say that word. I don't know what it is. No catapults. No, we're just going to use a, we're going we're gonna to take a lamp. We're going to put a pot over it. We're losing confidence, Gideon, just to let you know. I'm not sure where you're going with this. And then we're going to get a horn. And we're going to blow the horn, then we're going to break the pot, and it's going to show the lamp, and they're going to be scared to death we're going to win. Is this great or what? <laughs> so that was the strategy session. So here's, here's the truth. Finding a better option is not our default in life. So listen, something I realized uh, a couple of years ago, I, I'm getting older. That was not my realization. But I'm tending to a sedentary lifestyle. I tend to spend too much time sitting. Everything in our life is designed to make our life easier and require less effort. Right? When I was a kid, you're not going to believe the abuse we suffered. We didn't have remote controls, I was the remote control. Channel 13, UHF, right? VHF, right? You actually had to get up to change the channel. I will say this, though. The pause button has saved my marriage. It has saved my marriage many, many times because not only can I pause it when she's talking and not lose anything, it's like the best of both worlds. When she starts making noise in the kitchen, I can pause and just wait till she's done and then start it again. It's a, it's, it, I'm telling you, I have no idea what that has to do with Gideon, but we tend to be sedentary. We, we tend to make everything in our life easier that requires less effort. And let me tell you, that doesn't work when you're trying to do the impossible. I've, so, so what I started doing was, was I hired Christian to be my personal trainer. And we have a really weird relationship because I don't look forward to seeing him ever. Like I walk into to his gym and it's like, I know that I'm going to be that awkward fat guy that hates everything I'm doing. And, that, and he fulfills that. 
Like, like every time, right? So, I mean, he has me doing balancing techniques and stretches. I feel like a fat guy in a tutu trying to do a tippy-toe. It is, it, nothing makes sense. Try and get that out of your brain right now. But it, it's like nothing works right, and I'm struggling all the time, and I walk out of there completely drenched from head to foot and don't feel like I went anywhere. It's like, but I'm trying to fight against that sedentary lifestyle. And here's the, I pay him for this, Right? Like, I pay him to do this to me, but I realize that I need this in my life, and I feel the difference. I feel the difference that it's making. But we tend to try and always do what is easy and what requires the least amount of effort. But the truth of the matter is, God doesn't want us to be passive. When it comes to, when it comes to doing the impossible, I'm a fan of letting God work. I'm a fan of hitting the pause button for a minute and getting on my knees and praying and trying to get clarity. But it may be that God is requiring of you greater effort. And that maybe maybe the amount of effort you're putting into your relationship with your spouse is not enough. Maybe being a good enough employee is not enough. Maybe extra effort is needed in order to be able to do the impossible. God doesn't want us passive in this process. We may have to do more than what we planned to do. We may have to do more than what everybody else is doing. We may have to do more than what we have ever had to do before. It may be part of the process. So not only do we need to gain God's perspective, but we need to be willing to work hard and do that which we haven't done before because sometimes God's solutions require more work on our part, not just God to do what God's going to do. That's a hard thing to say, right? To give you another analogy of, of, of our physical world, it's like we ask God to bless our food and it's like what we're actually putting in our mouth, God's like, yeah, I got nothing. I can't bless that. That's made out of really bad stuff, right? You want God to do a miracle and change the molecular structure of the stuff that you're eating. No, it ain't blessing your body, right? Sometimes you have to make good decisions, right? And sometimes you have to do the hard work if you want God to do the impossible. And the third thing that I got out of, this, out of the story of Gideon is not only do better options require God's perspective and not only do better options require us to go the extra mile, but the limitations that we feel, your limitations help you find better options. And this is what really excites me. So Gideon could have been frustrated with God and he might have been, but it was the fact that he only had 300 men that he had to come up with this really crazy option of lamps and pitchers and horns. And your limitations could become the catalyst for God performing an incredible miracle. They say that necessity is the mother of invention, right? But how many stories do you read of businesses that were started because of limited resources? And what happens is when you have limited resources, you have to engage your creativity. You have to become good at doing something completely different. 
And that's what's exciting to me about this is that I don't know what God is calling you to do or what impossible situation you're experiencing right now. But don't, don't just necessarily think that you need more of something to make it happen. Allow God to show you how the limited resources that you have can become the catalyst to do something really unusual and great and creative and, dare I say, miraculous. We've always heard, and it's one of my favorite statements, God guides where he provides, or God provides where he guides. And so if God's going to lead you into something, he'll take care of you. But I'm not sure that just like God provides where he guides, that maybe he also guides where he doesn't provide. That's not a Bible verse, okay? That's Eric. All right? I don't know what to do about that. Like sometimes I feel like God wants me to do something, And I'm the one that's got to write the check. Now, he provided the money for me to write the check, okay? But sometimes God guides me where I have to be really creative to make it happen. And then he infuses it with whatever God does, and something great happens. You may be limited on resources, on budget, or even ability. But those limitations may become the catalyst for creativity and for the miraculous to happen. Instead of comparing yourselves with others or complaining to God that you don't have or for what you don't have, see your limitations as opportunities for God to do something incredible and for you to come up with a better way to make it happen. It could be that God wants to use those limitations to bring about uncommon results. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is the first chapter of 1 Corinthians. So so Paul is writing to this church of Corinth, and he actually, we believe, wrote four letters to Corinth. And and so the two that we have, we call it first and second. It's really second and third, I think. I think. I think there was one before this one, and I think there was one after. Just, you don't care. I think that's interesting stuff. But... So this is actually like second letter, but we call it 1 Corinthians. So he writes to the church of Corinth, really ungodly city, like very wicked. It was, it was, you know, not the stereotype, but it was like the Las Vegas of the day, but worse, right? So it was like there was a lot of bad stuff going around that was actually common and was actually going on in the church. And they felt like, well, you know, it's... God loves everybody, and there's lots of grace available, so we can do whatever we want to, and some pretty horrible situations. And in this, in this particular book, Paul came down really hard on a couple of individuals. But as he begins this letter to the church at Corinth, he has this really encouraging word. It says this, um, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world. Hello. To confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. Isn't that encouraging? And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. Why would he do that? That no flesh should glory in his presence. So God uses the unlikely. God uses the underfunded. God uses the unable in order to be able to do great things so that he gets the glory. 
So that's what we're looking to do because he gets the glory anyway, right? We just sang all about it. But God's praise and God's glory is not about just singing about it. It's living it out and and being a testimony of it. So we read this story of Gideon defeating 300,000 Midianites with 300 men and a couple implements from the kitchen. And we're like, wow, Gideon is a great leader. No, we're thinking God performed a great miracle here. And God used the limitations to do something great. So I don't know where you are in life. I don't know what you're up against. This may be one of those messages where you're just like, good thought. I'm going to need that later. I'm okay with that. But you also may be in the middle of something right now where you're like, I just can't make this work. I don't see how this is going to be sustainable. Or I can't, I don't understand what God is trying to do. I'm good with that. And we should be good with that because as long as we are looking at things from God's perspective and we're willing to work harder to make it happen and go the extra mile, then I believe that the limitations that we might feel like we have can be the catalyst for God to do something incredible in our lives and become a great story of God's deliverance and his power and his might and his goodness in our life. Here's the thing. He's given you everything you need to make it happen because he's given you himself. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we are excited about what you can and will and want to do in our lives. And I don't know what people are going through, but I know that you are in the middle of it. I know that you have, a, have an opinion about it. You have uh, the bright perspective and help us to seek you and help us to listen and hear from you and help us to do what it takes to watch you work as we work hard. And we select the better option of letting you do something great. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.